welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life Hello humans of triathlon this is Swapnil Chauhan here speaking from Melbourne Australia joined here by my two co-host today Carlos aka Charles from London UK and Sheila Trelevin from Grimsby Ontario Canada So 13 years ago I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and I was scared to death I had been addicted to alcohol for as long as I could remember and cocaine crack heroin and really anything that numbed me out and got me as messed up as possible for 4 years. This all stopped somehow on July 1st, 2006. Folks, we have today a personal trainer, a fighter and a winner. In a nutshell, this is an already classic humans of triathlon kind of story. Please welcome the awesome Alicia Woodruff. Welcome Alicia. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. No, it's awesome to have you on. Um you've you've been one of those people who have been supporting the page and the podcast right from the beginning, so it's nice to have you on to share your story. Yeah, thank you. I I love the I love the page. I love the podcast. Um I love what you guys are doing just um talking about real people doing triathlon and and uh what it does for our lives. Yeah. Exactly. So as a listener of the podcast I'm sure you know how we you know usually start things we just like to like our guests to take us back to their childhood and just sort of lead us into your story. Yeah, sure. Um I grew up in Northridge, California, which um is in the San Fernando Valley. It's a suburb of Los Angeles. Seemingly normal childhood, I guess you could say. I grew up uh playing competitive tennis. which earned me a scholarship to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill which is how I ended up uh in all the way from California to North Carolina um and had some pretty good success in tennis was never great but a decent college player earned all-american honors uh I think my senior year one of the um number one do- was part of the number one doubles team um in the nation in I think my senior year so I had some success there um but when I was done with that I was I don't know just ready to be done with tennis and so then uh graduated and and moved back to California and just kind of started my life I, and that's how I got into to personal training and that was kind of my first job out of college was personal training something that you wanted to get into or did you just fall into it Um I, yeah I did um it was one of my first jobs actually um in college after I finished my eligibility f- with tennis I still had another year to finish um uh, my degree and I added on exercise physiology as a major Mhm and started working in the student rec center uh writing people's you know programs and um helping them with um their exercise and fitness goals and I really enjoyed it and and I uh, knew that was something I wanted to pursue. And so I did. Okay. So yeah, take us from there. Where what happened next? Um so from there I yeah, I was doing personal training and then I decided I I just didn't really know what I wanted to do really. I mean, I was happy doing that, but I thought maybe I should be doing more with my life. I I I never really felt like I don't know, I just never felt comfortable with anything I was doing like it just wasn't good enough or um my friends you know other friends were lawyers and doctors and what am i doing and so i decided i was going to go be a uh, a teacher my my mother was a teacher i'm going to go be a a teacher like her and so i did that for like um a a year that was enough for me um so i didn't like that and um <laughs> and but i i still kept my personal training job and um and then i got an opportunity to be um an assistant tennis coach at UCLA and and that's where I really fell back in love with tennis and coaching and so from there I was 2 years a volunteer assistant tennis coach at UCLA 
And then from there, I was able to um, move up to a paid assistant at University of North Carolina. So my alma mater, which was awesome. Then I got my um, first head coaching job at the University of Texas, El Paso. And I was there two years. And then I got another head coaching job at Gonzaga University. And then from there, I moved to North Carolina. Um, That's kind of where my life started, kind of falling apart. (laughs) And um, so I moved back to North Carolina in uh, 2004. And I've been in North Carolina ever since then. When you when you say when you say head coaching, what exactly do you mean? I was so I was a head coach of the varsity women's tennis team um, at the University of Texas El Paso. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And so I really I I loved it. Um, I loved what I was doing. I I loved um, coaching these you know elite athletes. That unfortunately, that's where I started making some really poor decisions and got heavily involved uh, with drugs and alcohol and that led to my demise and um, was fired from jobs and subsequently moved moved back to North Carolina to kind of just start over. So it, it just sounds like you, you know, after getting back into tennis, you had, you know, you sort of found your, like, you got a little more comfortable with what you're doing. And so after that, how did you sort of go down that not so good path? Yeah, honestly, I, I, I don't know. I mean, at that time, I mean, I was very happy with my job and what I was doing. Um, I was going through a divorce. So and I, you know, I never felt, even though I loved what I was doing, I, I never felt uh, just comfortable in my own skin. I always felt like I just wasn't almost like an imposter syndrome, like I just wasn't good enough. Like, what am I doing? I don't deserve this job. I'm not good enough to be doing. I'm not good enough to be doing this. Where do you think that came from? I mean, who knows, right? I mean, I've spent years and hours um, on the therapist couch. I mean, so we could go into that, but um, <laughs> but you know, really, just the bottom line, I, I just uh, never, just never felt a good connection. Like I never had a good connection uh, with people, or you know, being authentic um, and being real and true to myself. Always wanting to just whatever you liked, I liked. Um, was like the chameleon. Um, I just was trying to make other people happy. And if you liked it, I liked it. And, um, you know, when you're trying to, when you're just not living your true self and your true life, like things get complicated and, um, you know, you're going to find other ways to make yourself feel better. And unfortunately I chose some really bad things, you know, and at first it wasn't too bad. I was still, you know, able to do my job and, it was, you know, of course, hard with such a big secret. Um, but, you know, eventually it just stuff like that just will take you down, which it did. So I, uh, of course, can't, you know, I, I, I was can't do that job and live the type of life I was living and uh, moved back to North Carolina. And um, so I got a job as a personal trainer here in North Carolina and um, was doing OK. And in um, 2005, I was having trouble walking and my body was going numb and I was diagnosed with, with MS and that, um, that, that was kind of, that was gut wrenching, uh, because I like to be active and, um, I thought that was like the end of it. Um, I thought, you know, I had heard only terrible stories about people with MS, like, you know, they end up in wheelchairs. And for me, I think I just use that as an excuse to like keep on using and, you know, feel sorry for myself. I find that really interesting because, you know, like after being diagnosed with MS, there would be two ways to look at that, right? The one is my, okay, my health isn't on the right track here and I better turn things around. Mm -hmm. And the other one being, you know, like why even try now, you know? And I think given how you continued to use after the, the diagnosis, I think that just shows like what kind of mental state you were in at the time. Yeah. I mean, I just wasn't ready to stop and it was just a convenient excuse, I think. I mean, it was, it was one of those things where I was using and I, you know, took myself to the hospital and said, I, you know, I'm having trouble walking. And (laughs) anyway, I was diagnosed and it was like, okay, I guess I can just keep doing what I'm doing because my life is just, I mean, it was really going downhill. You know, when the neurologist comes in, he's like, you know, I'm really, your MS is, you're going to be okay. I'm more concerned about your drug use because I was honest with him and what I was doing. And, and that was, <laughs> that was a little bit of a wake up call, not enough. 
um, cause I continued using for another year, but, um, it, it did, you know, I, that, those words stuck with me. Um, you know, that the MS wasn't going to kill me, but the way I was living was going to kill me yeah. eventually. Um, and I believe that now, um, now that if I'm on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. especially because the, the, the names of the drugs that you mentioned, it's not exactly like, like recreational things that you use mm. in, a, in a party, you know, it's like the, the things you hear in movies. Right. It's like hardcore stuff. <laughs> No, I what? Yeah, this wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't recreational at all. And it might have started out recreationally. I mean, you know, but uh, it moved quickly into not recreationally. And you know, you're sitting on the floor uh, by yourself. I mean, that's the thing with heavy drug addiction. Uh, my world became very, very small. You know, it, you know, block. Just everybody. Just I, I just pushed everyone away. I mean, that's the thing about addiction. I think we're just we lose total connection with other human beings. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why people get addicted. They're looking for connection and it's not there for whatever reason. And I know that was true for me. Um, it, it just, uh, you know, I wasn't able to just connect with other, with other people. And so I had this false sense of connection with drugs, but unfortunately when you do that, When I did that, it just, my world just became very small. I mean, my whole life was just revolved around the next high I and mean, that's it. And, uh, that's not, a, that is just not a way to live. Um, it's not even living. It's really just existing, you know? And, uh, you know, it's, it's really terrifying to think back now. I mean, it's been almost 13 years, so I have some space between the time, but, um, you know, today I get to live instead of just just waking up and existing and trying to find the next means to get some money so I can go get high. I mean, that's just not the way, not a way to live. Mm. And think, you know, thank God I, whatever, whatever reason on June 30th, 2006, I just decided, you know, again, I tried lots of times to get sober. I don't know why this time stuck, but I do know on July 1st, I woke up And I looked myself, I couldn't really look myself in the eye, but I did, I do remember looking in the mirror and just, you know, I said, Alicia, you are going to put as much effort into staying sober this time as you do into getting high. And the amount of effort that I put into getting drugs and staying high was <laughs> exponential. I mean, I would go to any length to do what I needed to do to get high. And that was the type of effort I was going to put in to stay sober this time. And for whatever reason, it's stuck. I mean, and it's so trite, but it really is one day at a time. And it's certainly in the beginning, it was. So as you're going through that process of not using, what was motivating you to stay on that same path? Uh, I th honestly think I was just tired of living that way. I was tired of lying. I was tired of just being the shell of a person. Um, I, a lot of, sh I mean, the shame of just become of who I had become, you know, just like, what am I doing with my life? And, and just knowing that I, I had seen so many, there were, there is a way out. I had seen other people get to the other side. Um, I just had to decide that I was, it was worth it. And I was worth it. You know, it, it was a lot of people call it, you know, a little, whatever, higher power moment, God moment, whatever. I don't know. I, people can call it whatever they want. It was just one of those things where like, everything aligned and, you know, just kept putting one foot in front of the other and, and kept that in my mind that I was going to do whatever it took to stay sober just for those 24 hours. And, um, so almost 13 years later, it's, it's still working. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I guess it's very similar to, uh, to an Ironman race. And now that we, before we get there, <laughs> just like you said, right. It's just try yeah. to get sober for the first 24 hours and then see, right? It's the same thing. Like, let's try <laughs> to get those first 5K and then we'll see. Totally. Right? One foot in front of the other. You are so right. I mean, because when I'm on the bike and I'm ready, I mean, I just, I let, I have my watch set on the bike for, to click off every five miles and I do click it off every five miles. Just, you know, just get to this one, just get to this one. And, and on the run, it's every mile. And, um, You know, you just, yeah, I mean, you got to break it down into little pieces and, um, and get it done and get through it and focus on this moment. You know, I think living in the present, you know, not trying to look too far back and not trying to look too far ahead is, helps me 
not only stay sober, but also in, in triathlon as well. Was there, were there, were there people that you had as support to help you get through this and get through your recovery? What? Yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, um, my partner, uh, definitely stood by me. I mean, we've been friends since freshman in college, 1989. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I've known her almost 30 years. We've been together since 2004. So almost 15 years. She, she, she helped me, uh, lots of people in 12 step, uh, recovery groups, you know, of course my family stood by me when I let them, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I really, I tried not to let on how, how bad things were. And just as much, I mean, as much as I let people in, they would help me. That's the thing. Like people want to help, um, but you have to let them help you. <laughs> right. So that that's the crux. I think um, once you finally ask for help, it's there. And once you really want the help and are willing to put in the work, it, help is there. People want people want to see you succeed. Um, they certainly don't want to see you, you know, high and messed up and doing things, you know, stealing and doing all the things we have to do to to stay high. Yeah, especially your family. Yeah, yeah. They are rooting for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. They're rooting for you. I mean, there's going to be times, I think, you know, sometimes the family might have to say, you know, we got to pull away. But um, no, they were always supportive, you know, as much as I let them support me. Yeah, and it's true what you say. I think we've had also guests, uh, they say the same, very same exact thing you said. You know, if you're not willing to uh, be let help, it's impossible. So you, you need to open the gate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to be the one that's saying, okay, I can't do this alone. That's the thing. Like, I think addicts can be stubborn and, um, you know, like I can do it, I can do it. But um, I know for me, I can't do it alone. And it, that's hard for someone who struggled with connection and struggled with being vulnerable. Um, you got to put yourself out there um, and accept the help. And, um, you know, just let go, like stop holding on so tight. It's almost like swimming, right? Like if I'm trying to muscle through the water, like I'm going to go slower, <laughs> but if I just let it go, like I'm a much better swimmer, like amazing. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you just got to just let go and, and just, just let things, just let people help. Indeed. So, so like, you know, while you were going through this one day at a time, you had another thing to deal with, which was MS. So like, Mm -hmm. first first just tell everyone what ms exactly is because i'm not sure if many people know of it sure um ms stands for multiple sclerosis um and it means that there are plaques um on my brain or on my spinal cord and so messages can't wherever the plaques are the messages can't get to certain areas of my body so if there's a plaque um on my, I don't know, I don't know too much technical or medical about it, but if it's on my one part of my brain that would go um, to my right arm, let's say, the message isn't going to get through to move my right arm as much as I would want it to. And that's why there's numbness sometimes, or um, people have difficulty walking. And the thing with MS is it affects everyone so differently. You know, there's so many different um, types of MS and every there's so many different symptoms. Really, the the similarity is are these these plaques that are showing up on the brain or the spinal cord. You know, I have had one huge exacerbation, then that was the very first one in 2005, and since then I've been on a medic medication that I take every other day. And um, you know, knock on wood, things are are going. I mean, well enough that I can do Ironmans. <laughs> so, you know, I think, you know, stop doing drugs, take my medication, um, eat relatively healthy, exercise, get sleep, all that, you know, keep my stress level as low as I can. I think that that stuff helps. And I think also just a good dose of luck because I know people that do all that stuff and they are not, they're not where I am. Their MS has progressed. So what current symptoms are you overcoming or dealing with? I know the medication helps you a lot, but mm -hmm. what are you currently having to overcome, especially to, you know, be able to do those Ironmans you mentioned? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, yeah, I have fatigue, but is that from training <laughs> or is that, you know, MS? So it's hard to tell. Mm -hmm. And I'll get, um, 
Like if I'm really exerting myself hard, I get numbness in my hands. But is that what other people, maybe other people are getting that too. Like, is that an MS thing or is that just, I'm just pushing myself super hard. So it's, it's hard to tell. I don't, I don't really have any like day-to-day symptoms that I would point to. Oh my gosh, that's MS. I mean, my brain is foggy sometimes, but whose isn't, right? You know, like, I don't know if I could totally pinpoint that to MS. I mean, I could look at a whole list of symptoms that are quote unquote MS symptoms, but Mm -hmm. they also would be, could be contributing, contributed from other, you know, just life things. So I really don't, I wouldn't say I have anything that I'm dealing with on a day-to-day that is for sure MS. Um, Yeah. Like I don't have, like some people have like tingling in their feet or um, uh, blindness in one eye. I just, I don't have that. Um, I have like very, you know, like I said, like, I mean, yeah, I'm tired a lot, but I mean, I'm training a lot. (laughs) So I'm going to, I don't know, I'm trained and work and, you know, all that stuff. So I don't know. Mm. Yeah. No, that's, it. it's very fortunate for you. That's, that's, uh, that's good that you don't have as those symptoms and that you can still, still move forward and do the things you want to do. Like, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I mean, I feel very fortunate and, and sometimes I have to, you know, people are think, tell me, oh, you should go advocate for other MS patients that they can do triathlons. And, and yes, I, I agree. Like I would, I would hope that I can be inspirational to other people who um, have been diagnosed with MS. But the thing is, like, I have met people and they they cannot walk and they want to. Mm-hmm. So it's not a matter of, you know, they just don't want it enough. They just can't. And so I, I don't, you know, just because I can doesn't mean that someone else can, unfortunately, because of how their symptoms are. Um, but if I can encourage someone, hey, well, maybe you can like get in the pool and and try, you know, just this or, you know, aqua jogging or anything, something more that you're doing now, then that would be great. But I, I, there's just so many, there's so many different symptoms and so many, um, everyone just experiences it differently that I didn't, I wouldn't want someone to think that I would be like, oh, you can do it too. Just, you're just not trying hard enough. Cause that's not, that's not true. Hmm. I'm just very fortunate. Um, that I have a, I think I have a mild case at least right now. So, and uh, I don't know. And speaking with your physicians, and they know the exercises, exercise that you're doing. Do they feel, or do you feel that the the triathlon and the training does it help keep keep the progression of the of um, MS under control? Do you think, or does it affect it in some way by slowing down the progression? Yeah, they, I don't know. They they say the one thing they did tell me in the beginning because I. Um, I was so scared to, I was, I was just a runner and I hate to say that just a runner. I mean, like, (laughs) I don't mean it like that. (laughs) I was, I was only running. I wasn't swimming or biking. Um, (laughs) um, and they, I was scared to go back to running. I thought I would like, um, make my MS worse and, you know, and they said there, it's impossible. You can't do that. You're not going to, um, make anything worse. So they encouraged the exercise and they thought that maybe adding in swimming just because it would help keep my body cool. Mm-hmm. Cause one of the MS is suppo- supposedly exacerbated by heat. Um, I don't, I'm more affected by the cold. Um, and that's one of those things where everybody's just different, but they did suggest that I, that I try some swimming, um, which I didn't do till much, probably like five years later. But anyway, Um, but no, the running didn't, I I did eventually start picking back up my runs and, but I mean, it started off with like, okay, I'm going to go running for 10 minutes and just see what happens. And then of course nothing happened, but I was so scared. So it took a while for me to build confidence that, um, nothing was going to happen. Uh, cause when I first went into the hospital, I mean, I had to, I couldn't use the left side of my body. I had to learn to walk, um, with a walker again and kind of retrain my left side to function. So I did not want that to happen again. And I really thought that if I went out running, that was going to do it. I mean, it was just irrational. But, you know, I, I can look, looking back now, it, it was a fear. And it, I mean, it makes sense. Um, but it, even though the doctors were like, no, Alicia, that's not, you're not going to do anything. So I just had to build some confidence up um, and eventually started running again. And that was, that was good for my mental health. 
For you, you just said that the for me, it just hit me that you said that it it was an irrational fear that running would make it go worse. Mm-hmm. But while listening to you and what you just said and how you had to, you know, learn to start walking again, the one side of your body mm-hmm. wasn't working. You you need the walker. To me, that doesn't sound like an irrational fear. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I mean, you know, your doctor's telling you one thing and you're like, yeah, but I just had to learn to walk again. So you want to trust the doctor, but you're also just experienced something that you never want to go through again. So you're like fighting experience with trusting your doctor, I guess. <laughs> so, Yeah. Well, I think you're incredibly brave for for getting out there and starting and running again and doing the things that you're doing after going through an experience like that. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was something. You know, throughout all of this, you've been a personal trainer. So what is that like? Because on one side, you're telling, you're instructing people what to do. And on the other side, you know, um, you're still in this whole recovery process and you're on the path of becoming sober. So what was that balancing those two sides like? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I'd say for the first, well, the first year that I was um, here in Raleigh, I was still using. So I was a personal trainer and I was a drug addict. (laughs) And that was very, that'll screw with your brain. (laughs) Mm. Because I, you know, I, I just, I was living this double life where I'm preaching health and wellness and do what's best for your body. And then you know, as soon as I left my job, I was going and doing the complete opposite. And um, that, that was, that was a very, that was a tough um, period. Uh, Just, you know, I was lying, I was lying to about who and what I was. And, you know, I feel like one of my values today is to be as authentic as I can be. And that, you know, looking back at that time of my life, I was, you know, just, complete I just was not the person I wanted to be so then when I started getting you know then I got sober or and stopped using and I'm still you know the personal trainer and I, I didn't tell anyone um, nobody knew about um, this part of my life and a lot of people still don't and that's one of the reasons why I, I shared my story with you all whatever it was several months ago I felt like it was time for me to put something out there because I think that there's a stigma still surrounding addiction and mental health. And, um, and if I can help one person reach out for help and that it is okay. And that, you know, we don't have to let the, um, shame keep us from reaching out. Um, you know, then, then it's worth it. So I I just kept doing my job. Hopefully I got better at my job (laughs) with a little bit clearer head. And, you know, now if people find out and I'm able to share my story with them and help somebody else um, get sober or a family member or whatever, then then it's worth it. Well, I think being on the show today and sharing your story about addiction, you may have people reach out to you and, and, and ask for some advice, I'm sure, on, on how you did it and how you were able to, to move on, go forward and, you know, have not just from addiction, but you're also dealing with MS. So, you know, you're a strong woman and and I'm sure you'll get lots of advice on how to help others move forward as well. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, that's what I would want to do is just to help someone else. And there was a little bit of hesitation. I mean, I think sometimes in my head, I'm like, oh, the story is so trite. Oh, I was a drug addict. Now I do triathlons. I mean, I feel like that's kind of like been said and done, but you know what? That's okay. Like triathlon has totally changed my life. I mean, and definitely keeps me going um, and keeps me away from making bad decisions um, because I I love it. And I love the training and I love um, knowing I have a race coming up and I can't do that when um, I'm using. There's just no way. So how did you get from personal trainer into the sport of triathlon? So that's interesting. So I was training, um, I had this new client and, um, she actually was the wife of my landlord. So it was kind of like, not, I had to train her, but when she asked if I would train her, I said, sure. Well, I, we didn't really hit it off. I mean, with a personal trainer, I mean, I think there's gotta be a connection and we just weren't 
we just weren't meeting. <laughs> um, you know, it just, just, it just wasn't clicking. And so I was trying really hard to come up uh, just with ways to connect with her. Somehow she started talking about how she was training for um, a super sprint triathlon. And I said, wow, what's that? And she told me, and I said, oh my gosh, I, I can't even swim 50 yards without having to stop. And and she kind of mocked me, like, I can't believe my trainer can't swim 50 yards. <laughs> <laughs> and and I took it really personally. And I signed up for that same race that she was doing and um, and decided I was going to do it. And so I went to the pool the next day and I'm like, I'm going to start training for this triathlon. I had no idea what I was doing. And sure enough, I made it like one lap, had to stop and like just was just dying. <laughs> Did like maybe seven laps, went home because I think the swim was 250 yards. So I, I knew I had to do five laps. Anyway, that's how I got into triathlon by a grudge <laughs> <laughs> out of spite. <laughs> but I, I went to that super sprint triathlon. It was 250 yard swim, a nine mile bike and a two mile run. And I was so relieved when I made it through those five laps, which looking back now, I mean, it's just amazing, you know, that I thought, you know, 250 yards was so far. Um, but, and I got out of the pool and I was so happy and just the nine mile bike was so great. And then I just ran two miles cause, and it was seriously one of the best things I had ever done. I just felt so accomplished. I just was so happy the whole time I was doing this. I, I, I think, I don't even remember my time. I don't think it was very, it, it wasn't very good. I mean, it was, I think I finished like maybe top 10 in my age group. Um, it was, but I was just ecstatic. I had bought a bike from another client who was selling her. I mean, it was just a road bike, just, you know, maybe 15 years old. I mean, I just had like the bare bones and I loved it. I was hooked. And, and ever since then, I signed up for another sprint and took some swimming lessons and so I could get a little bit better than being scared of 250 yards. And, um, and it just took off from there. And now you've done, what, like five or six Ironmans? Yeah, I've done six, six full Ironmans. I'm doing number seven this summer in Maryland. And I've done seven 70.3s. I'm doing number eight. I'm doing the Eagle Man, the half in Maryland. Um, this summer. And yeah, I just love it. I just, uh, I think that year that I did the super sprint, I, I might've gotten a little um, overzealous. I signed up for an Olympic and that was my first open water swim. And <laughs> it was 1500 meters. And I was so far last in that swim. I finally got out. I forget how long it took me, maybe an hour. I mean, it took so long. I was breaststroking most of it. I, I got out. I was so far behind. I didn't see one person on the bike course. I didn't see anyone until I finally got to the run. And because the 10K was two loops, I did at least get to see people. Um, of course, came in like dead, dead last um, in my age group. And I just didn't care. I was like, I didn't care. I just was like, I loved it. I'm like, okay, I got to get better. I need to do this, this, and this. And for me, that's such a total mind switch because normally I would be just so irritated that I came in last or and beat myself up. Or for whatever reason, I just, I just love the sport. It was like, it's like, it's just me competing against me um, and wanting to get better. And I knew I needed to, I'm like, okay, I guess I need to do some work on this swimming and this open water swimming. Like you can't just go from the pool to the open water, Alicia, um, which I did. And that wasn't very smart. So, you know, and then I went back and did that race the next year and and, and did a lot better. So um, I just love to watch the improvement of myself and just comp com competing against myself. I, I just love the sport. It's just totally changed my life. That's pretty much the opposite thinking of what you had earlier, you know, like as a child, you're always comparing yourself, competing against others and this total switch. Yeah. Yeah. Wanting to be like someone else or I'm not good enough. And, you know, now you know, it's funny, like that first super sprint race. I mean, I just had so much fun. I, it's like, I know too much now. So now like I've been in the sport, mm, let's say seven years. Well, now it's like, I know too much. And there, I, now I put a little, I can feel myself putting more pressure on myself to, well, I did this in this race and I have to remind myself to back off. Like this is supposed to be fun. I'm still only trying to, you know, um, just be my best today. But I think that that's normal. You know, you just, I, I'm a competitive person. I always want to do my best. So 
it's just sometimes I have to reel myself back in and remind myself how far I've come. Exactly. You know, I'm not, a, and I have to remind myself too, like, I'm not a professional. I, I you know, I always say, I, I, I love my job. I love my clients, but I wish I had found this sport 20 years ago. Maybe um, I could <laughs> spend all my time training and be pro, but <laughs> alas, I can't. So uh, 47 years old and not a very, you know, I'm just sort of middle of the pack on everything, but um, that's okay. I, I, I feel you there. I, 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 I say the same thing. I wish I had found this sport uh, when I was in my 20s and, and not in my 40s. <laughs> right. It would make a, a big difference. But then I also yeah. I might have missed a lot of things that I've done over the time in those years. Had I found that sport, my life may have been completely different. And I don't know if that's better or, or not. Yeah. Yeah, we'll never know. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, I'll just do the best I can with what I have right now. And, you know, not stress out if, you know, if I miss a workout or I mean, I take it seriously. And I try to do what I can um, to be as prepared as I can for my races. But it's also, it's a hobby. Very important. Um, I have to remind myself of that. I am not making any money off this. (laughs) And it's a hobby and hobbies are supposed to be fun. Um, I was trying to remind myself of that on my trainer ride today. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's just triathlon. It, it just, uh, I just love it. I mean, it's just really has helped me form connection with a community. I think that I was always looking for and, and got to find it through the sport. And how much time did it pass between you were diagnosed with MS and your first uh, super spring triathlon? Because I think you mentioned that when you got diagnosed, obviously you were very scared of trying to mm-hmm. run because you didn't know how your body was going to react. But, and obviously now on a, on a triathlon, you have the swim, especially that you just mentioned this open water swim. So mm-hmm. did you feel that, that same sort of uh, uh, terror to go into the water, not knowing what was going to happen? Or do you feel, you know what, I already know my body and it should be fine. Yeah, there was, there was definitely some fear. I, I was uh, talking with Sheila. That's one of the reasons why uh, we used to have a half, uh, 70.3, an Ironman here in Raleigh. And I think it started in 2014 or 2015, but I was, I was too scared to sign up for it. I was scared of the heat. Um, it's in, it was in June. I was scared that the heat was going to send my MS, you know, into, um, into an exacerbation. And so it, I didn't sign up for my first Raleigh half until 2016. Um, so there definitely was some fear like, oh my gosh, you know, am I going to, Am I going to send myself, you know, am I going to send myself down the path of not being able to walk again? Mm. So there definitely was that, that fear. Um, and then, you know, just one year I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And if I feel my body, I, I, I started trusting myself and trusting my body. And so that, that first time I did Raleigh, I was, I was scared, but I also trusted myself that if I, you know what, if I have to stop and walk, I stop and walk. It's not a big deal. Um, if I have to just stop, I mean, you can, it just is. Um, and I think once I got to that, t- to say like, it's okay, it's okay to, th- if you have to stop, once I allowed myself to know that it, I, I signed up and, and got it done. And that was the same with my first full in Chattanooga in 2016. It was the same thing. Like, oh my gosh, is my body going to be able to handle this? You know, it's kind of like the further the distance, like, again, I kind of go through that whole thing. Can I do this? But I think everybody does, yeah. right? Doesn't even have to have MS. Like anybody's going to be like, oh my gosh, can I do this? I still go through that. Like that's for every race, uh, for every long course. I'm like, there's always that fear of like, I mean, of course I know I can do the distance cause I've already done it, but you just never know what the day is going to bring. There's always going to be something that you weren't expecting. Am I going to be able to deal with it? Mm. You know, somebody told me like, expect five things to not go right in each full. (laughs) And it's true. It really does. You know, it might be something small, but it is, that has been my experience, you know, something small, something big, Um, you know, from uh, my watch strap broke at Ironman Florida last year. And I was like running around town trying to find a new strap. And could I have raced without my watch? Of course. Um, but that was just something small, you know, just something big. I thank God I've never had a flat, but that of course is something that can happen. So, um, you just have to be ready for the unexpected. And I think that's part of the allure maybe is like, oh my gosh, can I do this? And that just makes crossing the finish line that much sweeter. 
I mean, there's just nothing like it for me. Uh, just the sense of accomplishment, knowing that all the work that I put in, you know, all the workouts that I did when I didn't want to do them, you know, it's not just the day. Of course, getting through the whole the whole race is an accomplishment. But for me and the journey of the training and the day in and day out grind of the training and, and making sure I get it done, that, you know, that to me is it's just one big culmination of crossing that finish line is what it represents. Just the hard work that I've put in and um, and doing things that I didn't think that I could do, even from a swim workout that my coach gives me just like, oh my gosh, I don't think I can do this. And I get it done and I'm like, wow, okay, good job, Alicia. Like you didn't think you could do that. <laughs> so I give myself a lot of pep talks <laughs> and a lot of, you know, like I tell myself good job a lot. It keeps me going. I try to, I try to um, appreciate the little triumphs in triathlon. And if it's getting through a swim workout, then good. That's fine. All the way down to crossing the finish line and hearing Mike Riley call my name. I mean, that'll never get old for me. It just won't. You know, some, I, I don't know. Some people want the medal. I just, I just want to, I just want to hear my name and that I'm an Ironman and get my hat and I'm happy. <laughs> no, I think the thing you mentioned about small victories, I think that's really important because, you know, usually when something goes wrong, we beat ourselves up about it a lot. But if we do something right, then we don't really, you know, pat ourselves on the back for it. Yeah, we don't even acknowledge it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I do. I mean, even today, like I had a, a trainer ride with, um, you know, three pretty tough 20 minute sets. And, oh, I just didn't, I just didn't know if I could get through the last one. And I did. And I was like, okay, good job. I mean, you know, you stayed on it, you stayed focused. Do, do I want to do better? Of course. I'm always room for improvement, but I just, I just try to stay positive. Um, cause that's, you know, my brain can go negative pretty quick and, um, it helps me it just, it just helps me stay focused on what's important. Triathlon is, it's just, it's a hobby that, that keeps my brain doing something good for me and, um, and hopefully inspiring others. You've been sober now for quite a while. So do you, is that something that you still have to take like a day at a time or is it just something you don't think about anymore? I mean, honestly, I think it's important for me to remember that I do need to take it one day at a time, but Fortunately, it's not something that I think about a lot. Um, I was just talking with a friend of mine um, that I don't know how it came up in our conversation, but I told her the example of, you know, while um, an addict or an alcoholic, while we are, let's say, in a 12-step meeting, um, the addiction is outside doing push-ups in the parking lot, meaning, you know, like it's always ready to sneak up on you. So if I you know, and I have to find my triggers, um, you know, so like if I'm having a bad day or I don't have a good workout or I get in a fight with my partner or, you know, something like that, like that's, that's where my, when my brain can start going places that it doesn't need to go. And luckily, yes, I've been sober long enough that I can bring it, bring it back to reality. And like, that's not a good idea. You know, and they say playing it, you're supposed to play the tape back. Like, where will this lead? If I do this, what's that going to lead to? And uh, what it leads to is I lose everything that I have because I know, because I've done that over and over again. If I use, I lose everything. You know, I can't just go out and have one bender and then come back and everything's fine. That's not how it works for me. One leads to another, leads to another, and eventually everything is gone. So if I want to lose everything, then go make that choice, which I don't. So, um, you know, but you don't get that awareness um, in the first year of sobriety. Like that's why you need a ton of support, lots of um, sober friends, making sure you're not hanging around people that are using because um, it's too easy to slip back into that, to that life. You know, they say if you hang out um, in a barber shop long enough, you're eventually going to get a haircut. <laughs> so if I hang out, right? So if I hang out um, in bars long enough, I'm a, you know, and I'm not, not haven't been sober very long, I'm eventually going to drink. So, um, you know, that's, so yes, I, I do think about it some, but not as much as I used to. <laughs> I've just got, I've just have a, a different life now. 
and it's not something that I want to, I not something I want to throw away. I have an awesome, you know, I just have an awesome relationship and I love my job and my clients. You know, I have a little small business. I don't want to lose that. I love racing. I love triathlon. I have great friends, good relationship with family and friends. If I use that's over, that's just how it is. It is that black and white. I have to remember that. Like there is no in between. Eventually it's over. It's all gone because I have done it over and over and over again. I have tried to do both and it doesn't work. So uh, I've never tried to do, I mean, I've only been sober. I've only done triathlon sober, so I don't know, but I I can guess that it would be not good. So (laughs) I'm not going to even try that. And I don't want to go back to living that way. It's too stressful. It's, 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 it's just not how I want to live my life. So this is much better. (laughs) (laughs) The good and the bad. (laughs) You know, I think that's the whole thing. Like I I start, I think that addicts, I'm talking for myself, we, we want to numb out. We don't want to feel whatever it is we're feeling. But when you numb out the bad, you're also numbing out the good. Mm. And so now I get to live and living means you get to feel the whole range of emotions. And yeah, some suck but some are really awesome and you get to live life. And that's what I, I get to do now. I get, I get to, you know, have the full, have the full range um, of living rather than just, just existing, just numbed out, not feeling anything. And, and when you're not feeling anything, you don't get to connect. And I really think that that, that lack of human connection is what leads people down the road to addiction. You know, I think as human beings, we all, crave that connection and you got to find something to connect with and somebody and something. So, uh, once I was able to get to that point, um, was able to stay sober and allow people into my life and, and be vulnerable and, and be a part of, you know, instead of just, uh, living in a very small world of just me in my house on the dining room floor, you know, that's not a very good way to live. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) This is a triathlon podcast, right? Not therapy (laughs) podcast. Okay. I just want to make sure. (laughs) No, but you know what? It's really impactful. The things that you were saying are very impactful. Yeah. You may, I know that I've heard a lot of people, or I, I even feel this way that, when I'm in triathlon, it's like I have a family, all the other triathletes that I meet, whether I, it's the first time I go to a, a competition and I'm in line and I'm talking to people or my group that I train with here at home, I feel that I have a, a family or a connection there with them. Do you have that kind of a group or do you now feel that way about triathlon or are people in the groups around you where you have a connection with in the sport? Yeah, I don't have a huge, I do train by myself. I heard your, your interview and you love to train with people. Um, and that's, and that's awesome. <laughs> um, just with my schedule, um, and I ride inside. I am, I, I just don't feel safe riding out on the streets, um, here in Raleigh. So I, I do train, um, by myself about 99% of the time. But when I go to races... But there's always a dog see... with you. That's what I see a lot on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, that's because she gets a walk after, when I come back from my run. <laughs> so she's always happy that I'm finally home from my run and she gets to go for a walk. That's my cool down. Um, but, you know, when I go to races, and I love seeing, you know, you see the, the, some of the same people and it's like, yeah, those are my triathlon friends. Um, you know, I love seeing them and catching up and. Um, I do feel like it's such a great community. And one of my favorite things to do is we have um, kind of a beginner's triathlon series, but anybody can do it, um, do the races. But I love going to those races and um, helping and answering questions, you know, while I'm getting set up in transition, you know, people, I can tell like new, new triathletes are, you know, they're just, they're nervous and they're just like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And and I, I love helping new triathletes. That's one of my favorite things to do. And it's one of my favorite things to do here um, in Raleigh with the, it's called the Rex Wellness Series. And um, it, it's just, I, I, I just love watching um, their eyes light up when they complete their first triathlon. I mean, because I remember that feeling and it's so amazing. 
And, you know, you only get that one, you only get to feel that once, you know, that first time is just amazing. And so I, I, um, that's one of my favorite things to do is, is to help out new triathletes, um, and that they can do it. Um, cause I was there too, you know, like I used to not be able to swim 50 yards in the pool without having to stop. And so it is possible to start from that and, and go as far as, as you want to go. If you want to do a full Ironman, you can get there because I'm proof it, it happened. You know, I put in the work and little by little, you know, now I can swim 2.4 miles in the open water fairly confidently. Um, you know, I'm not breaking any speed records, but I know I'm going to make the cutoff and I'm going to get it done. So, um, I, I love the community. I think it's so supportive and, it, and it's the, it's a sport for anyone. You know, there's no, there's no, it just doesn't matter, you know, your body or male, female, you know, just, just doesn't matter who you are, what you are. Um, I think triathlon is, is as an inclusive sport as a, an inclusive sport as it can be. Yep. Totally agree. So do you have any goals set or any plans for the rest of the year? So I'm signed up for three triathlons this year. I have an Olympic distance at the end of April. Um, it's local, fairly local. It's in a town called White Lake, which is about 90 minutes from here. Um, and then I'll do the Eagle Man 70.3 in Cambridge, Maryland in June. And then I'll do the full in Maryland in September. That's as few races as I've ever signed up for. My, I've been working with a coach probably for the last 18 months, and he really encouraged me to not sign up for as many. He thinks that I'll be able to get a little bit better training in because I hate having I, – I only want my races to be eight races. <laughs> like he'll be like, well, this is a C race, so just don't – you know, you're not going to be tapered, and I just can't stand that. Like <laughs> now I'm in this race. My legs feel like crap. I'm trying to push as hard as I can, but I can't because I'm not, you know, I've been training so hard up to, so I, I don't like that. And I want to be able to do my best at every race. <laughs> and so, um, I just signed up for these, these three and, and, and we'll see. I, I did agree with him because last year I did three fulls and, and that definitely <laughs> was too much. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew I was doing Lake Placid and Chattanooga and Chattanooga just was a nightmare. I, I did I was not happy with how, um, I, I, how I performed. It really was more, um, my decision to, uh, they canceled the swim, mm -hmm. uh, because it had rained so much that the water levels were too dangerous. So we started on the bike and for whatever reason, I just thought, I don't know. I think I thought it was like an Olympic distance and I hammered out of there like I was going to win it. Oh, no. And by mile 50, I was just torched. Um, and I paid dearly and, suffered terribly in the marathon and you know i i finished but i was just not happy with my decision making and i really wanted to prove to myself that i could pace myself in, properly and i could do nutrition correctly so i signed up for ironman florida which was moved from panama city to haines city because of uh hurricane um and that did work out much better, but I would not recommend doing three like I did. Um, and so, yeah, my body is finally coming around. I think like a month ago, I started feeling a lot better. So I'm do I am signed up for those three this year. And I mean, my ultimate goal, I've, I, I want to go to Kona so badly. And, you know, I think my best finish was ninth in my age group and it didn't roll down to me. I'm not surprised. Um, so now, you know, I'm going for the legacy and, um, so number seven this summer, I would love to try to sneak in number eight. If I mean, I, I kind of have in the, I'm not telling my coach, but in the back of my mind, I kind of want to sign up for Florida or Arizona. Um, and cause I mean, again, that's where the MS thing does kind of come to me. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, like I got to get these 12 Ironmans. And then like, then I have to be on a waiting list cause everybody's done 12 now. And I mean, everybody has a legacy and it takes forever to get the spot and, what if, what if I have, you know, I, I start what ifing myself, you know, what if the MS starts rearing its head? And anyway, I, I, I start getting a little crazy with that. I just need to stay focused. I'll get there eventually. I, I want it so badly. And so I'll, I'll get there. I'll get my 12 or 13 or however many it's going to take. I just need to be patient. And um, so that's, that's the big goal. But those, um, those are the three races for this year. 
Have you done the Eagleman before? I haven't. Okay. Well, I've done the Eagleman. So if you have any questions afterwards or whatever, like I'm happy to share. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I for sure will. So because I train on the trainer like 99% of the time, um, that was one of the reasons that I chose the races I chose this year um, of being flat. Last year at Lake Placid, I suffered. Um, Even though I was trying to mimic hills, you just can't mimic hills like you can when you're riding outside. Um, And that course to me chewed me up. The bike course did. So... um, I'm trying a little bit different strategy this year. See if all the training rides inside will help me out on the flat course. We'll see. So yes, I definitely will be reaching out to you. Yeah, for sure. Any, Any tips? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So that's what I have planned for this year. Not yeah, not too many. I mean, I might throw in a few sprints here or there just to mix up the long course training. Gets kind of boring, um, you know, zone two training. But I, you know, it'd be nice to just go out and hammer away for a, a sprint and just to make sure I still have something in my leg, some speed. But for the most part, that's that's going to be it. Cool. Okay. So as we go to the end of the show here, um, just a final few questions. What's the message you would want people listening to take away from your story? The message I would want people to take away is that, you know, if this is, if, if they put their head into it and they really want to do triathlon, just to, to go out and just, just do it. Just put your head down. Don't, don't worry about what other people have to say. Um, I think that was one of the things, you know, that I was, you know, somebody was mocking me that I couldn't swim 50 yards. And instead of like letting that deter me, I I took it on as a challenge and it has turned into something awesome. I also would, would share the message that if you are struggling with an addiction, there is a way out. Um, there is help and that there doesn't have to be a negative stigma. Um, it doesn't make you a bad person. Um, just You just need help, um, just like anything else. Um, you know, it, that we don't have to let shame dictate our lives, and that if you just reach out for help, it's going to be there, and that if I can get sober, I know that anyone can get sober because I was a mess, and my life was in just terrible just in it was a disaster you know and it can be done you just you just got to put one foot in front of the other and it and it can be done but you got to reach out for help and you got to accept the help that's offered as well hmm. great messages okay and are there any people or brands that you'd like to give a shout out to i wish i had brands but i don't yeah. um so, <laughs> but um i definitely would give a shout out to my partner jessica Um, she has stuck with me through thick and thin. She's a huge support, um, coming to these races. (laughs) I'm just laughing at this one in Lake Placid. We were all set to fly. I had tri bike transport ready to take my bike and I just freaked out. I'm like, I can't, I can't let them have my bike. And so I said, we're driving. (laughs) And she's like, you gotta be kidding me. It's like a 14 hour drive each way. I'm like, I'm sorry, uh, we're driving. And she said, okay. And you know, she just hangs in there with me and um, she knows how much the sport means to me. She's an awesome, awesome support crew. I have done races by myself, but I couldn't, it it just mean, it just means a lot um, when she is there. And she, she's been a huge support. Of course, my family, and friends and my my clients and my small little business um, are always are always offering just awesome support for me and and I know that it you know triathlon wouldn't be what it is without them and I and I appreciate them. Awesome. Okay, and before we ask our last question, tell everyone listening where they can find you online. My Instagram is at getamped g e t a m p e d, and my Facebook. I think it's Alicia Portnoy Woodruff and Twitter is at get amped as well. All right. Okay. And our last question is why do you try? <sighs> I try, I try for so many reasons. I would say one just gives me, it, it gives me purpose. It gives me a sense of accomplishment. It gives me a sense of connection and it gives me a sense of community. And I think that's all I ever really wanted 
Um, it just took me 45 years to find it. <laughs> <laughs> Better late than never. That's right. Awesome. All right, Alicia, this, it was amazing having you on the show and hearing your story. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me and thank you for starting Humans of Triathlon and um, for sharing this platform. I think it's important to show that real people do this sport and not just the top pros, but it, that the sport is for everyone. And thank you guys for, for starting this. It's, it's really awesome. And it's one of my, one of the highlights of my week to listen to the podcast and to look for the next story on the page. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being a part of this Humans of Triathlon community. Hope you're enjoying the show and the other content. Make sure to join us again next week here on the Hot Podcast, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this Audrey but extra Audrey world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying.